Awesome. Just quickly, a huge thank you to Benoit and Barb and Dwayne and Mike and Peter, because if it wasn't for them, you guys wouldn't have any seats to sit on right now. So they came early and set up all the seats. Did I forget anyone in that? That was... Okay, perfect. And Liel and my kids, they also helped. All right. Jesus, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your marvelous grace that you just pour out on us over and over. There's none like you. We just turn our attention this morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we started last week a new series on the book of Hebrews. Did anybody read the first chapter of Hebrews this week? Awesome. Wasn't it amazing? Isn't it a great place to start? All right, this morning I want to start with a question. And it's a question that that maybe you've heard, maybe you've thought to yourself, maybe you've wondered about. It's the question of... Are Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad just different prophets of the same message? Do all religions kind of just point to the same thing and and they're just different ways of getting there? (laughs) All right, we're done. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You ruined my (laughs) punchline. All right. I need volunteers. I need four volunteers. Who wants to be a volunteer? Don't be shy. I'm not going to make you eat anything, I promise. Okay, yes, Quinton, that's perfect. (laughs) Dwayne, awesome. Two more. Two more volunteers. (laughs) That's a voluntold. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, one more girl to even it out. All right, we're going to have a race. <laughs> Gloria's looking at me like, all right, I got this. <laughs> okay. We're going to have a race from here to the back of the church with one condition. You can only take three steps or three hops, and you have to make it from here to there. The first one there wins. Go. You've got to try. You can do it. I, 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 I guarantee you there's a way to do it. I promise you there's a way to do it. Three, three movements of some kind, yes. I promise you there's a way to do it. I like how this ended. It ended with Ursula throwing Gloria the rest of the way across the sanctuary. (laughs) 
I promise you there's a way to do it. I want to see all of you try. Okay. Except that's more than, see, Dwayne has now taken like 50 steps to get there. Here, have a seat. <laughs> I'll try not to crash you into the wall. There you go. not valid why not because he didn't do the work right it's not fair he didn't he didn't no okay well hang on hang on okay stand up thanks have a seat have a seat Okay, there you go. Yep, you're free to go. You're free. All right, thank you guys. That's awesome. Everyone's like, what is that? <laughs> it's disappointing because it's so simple. Because it didn't take any work. You can keep the chair for the rest of the... <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 ends with the author outlining that Jesus is greater than the angels. And then chapter 2 starts with this statement. You can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. It says, This is why it's so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard, so that we do not drift off course. For if the message of the law, spoken and confirmed by angels, brought a just penalty to every disobedient violation, then how would we expect to escape punishment if we despise the very truths that give us life? The Lord himself was the first to announce these things, and those who heard him firsthand confirmed their accuracy. And then God added his witness to theirs. He validated their ministry with signs, astonishing wonders, all kinds of powerful miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed as he desired. You see, there's, we talked last week about the message of God, and the message of God is Jesus. The language of God is Jesus. But as you look at, at different belief systems and the question of do they all fit together, it comes down to this simple, this simple truth that God has a message that is far greater 
than that given to angels. And this message he didn't send through an angel. He didn't send through a prophet. It's the message that he sent through his son. Through Jesus. And it's the message of grace. You see, like the illustration, thank you to the volunteers, the illustration that the, the four volunteers demonstrated. Religion is like trying to take three steps to get to God. Right? If you do this, this, and this, then you'll get there. If you, if you do a pilgrimage, if you, if you uh, serve enough times, if you give of your time, if you give of your money, if you, there's all kinds of things. Right? You will get to some point of enlightenment or you will get to God or you will get to the final destination. But there's only one message that actually gets you there. It's the message of grace. Grace is like somebody coming and saying, well, here, have a seat. And they do the work to get you where you're supposed to be going. And everyone else looks around and looks like, that's not fair. Why? Because they didn't do the work. Because they didn't take the three steps to get there. Somebody else carried them. They didn't do anything. That's what grace is. And there is only one belief system that is centered around grace. It's not about what you can do to get there. It's not about what you can do to earn God's favor or His love for you. It's that He loved you so much that He said, come, have a seat, and I'm going to take you there. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to sacrifice myself. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we continue reading in Hebrews, it says, For God will not place the coming world of which we speak under the government of angels. But the scriptures affirm, What is man that you would even think about him? Or care about Adam's race? You made him lower than the angels for a little while. You placed your glory and honor upon his head as a crown. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hands, for you have placed everything under his authority. This means that God left nothing outside of the control of his son. Even if presently we have yet to see this accomplished, but we see Jesus, who as a man lived for a short time lower than the angels and has now been crowned with glorious honor because of what he suffered in his death. For it was by God's grace that he experienced death's bitterness on behalf of everyone. For now he towers above all creation. For all things exist through him and for him, and that God made him pioneer of our salvation, perfect through his suffering. For this is how he brings many sons and daughters to, um, to share in his glory. Jesus, the Holy One, makes us holy. And as sons and daughters, we now belong to his same Father. So he is not ashamed or embarrassed 
to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. We didn't do anything to be called the sons and daughters of God. We didn't do anything to deserve to be called holy. We didn't do the, the, your best efforts, the best three steps, the best work you can do to try and make yourself holy, you still fall short. And so Jesus came not as a man who received a message from God. He came as God in flesh. To carry the message of grace. You see, we, we are human, right? Good, I'm glad we got that settled. And as humans, we mess up and we fail, right? Is there anybody in here who's perfect? In order for somebody who falls short... Because, because we're human, because we fail, we can't reach God on our own. No matter how much we try, we, we just in our nature as humans, we fail. We fall short. Which makes grace a necessity in order to be in God's presence. Because for me to even start that journey of, okay, I want to be in God's presence, guess what? I've probably already failed at something. We have the desire, but we don't have the power to actually live it out. And so in comes grace, and grace says, I'm going to do the work so that you can live it out. I'm going to do the work so that you can share in my glory. You realize that Jesus doesn't have to share his glory with you. He was the one who died, who suffered, who did the work. But guess what? It says he is not ashamed to call you his brothers and sisters. Wow. He is not ashamed to share with you what he paid for. We did nothing. We did nothing to deserve it. We didn't do a pilgrimage. We didn't successfully accomplish the three principles. We didn't look inside of ourselves and find some kind of divinity and then develop that. There's only one message that says, you can't get there, but let me get you there. Have a seat. Let me get you there. Grace. Grace is a game changer. It's the game changer. Grace and works, they're not even in the same ballpark. You're not even playing the same game. That's how different they are. Working hard and trying harder and striving and all the things that you feel like you need to do to get to God. It's not even in the same playing field. It's as different as rugby and your grandma's knitting class. We need to recognize that this idea of grace, this gift that is undeserved, 
that takes us from where we are and it puts us at the same place that Jesus paid for. So that when God looks at us, he sees us wrapped up in Christ. When he looks at you, he sees the holiness of Christ reflected. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Because you've chosen to accept his message of grace. When you choose to invite... This is, this is why we say that Jesus is the only way, because Jesus is the only one who brings a message of grace. I challenge you, go study, go look into every other religion and try and find grace. Look in every belief system and try and find grace. It's if you do this and this and this. If you devote yourself, if you serve more, if you deny yourself, if you, if you just recognize that... that Everything's not real. Then you'll get there. The sad thing is that we've actually taken following Jesus and somehow have confused it with a religion of what we need to do to get to him. Instead of recognizing that it's the message of God that came to us. It is God made flesh. You don't have to work for it. Jesus already worked for it. That's the amazing thing is, is that, yes, absolutely, we need to accept the message that Jesus is extending to us. Absolutely, we need to accept it. We need to allow... We'll get there. It's not, though. That's the thing. Is Grace isn't about work. You don't get to heaven by your surrender. You get to there because you have accepted Jesus. Yes, that's an act of surrender, absolutely. But it's not by your works that you get into his presence. It's not by your works that you get into relationship with him. It's by grace. It's because he took the first step and he came for you. And that's where we've got it wrong is that we think, well, yes, that's true, but then I need to do all these things. I still need to follow the Ten Commandments. I still need to... But here's the thing is when I am in grace, when I'm walking in relationship with Jesus, because that's what an invitation into grace is. It's walking in relationship with Jesus. I'm already fulfilling those things by His Spirit living inside of me. I don't want to murder because I have relationship with Jesus. I don't not murder because the Ten Commandments say don't murder. I do it because I, want, I, I have relationship with Jesus. His Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And it manifests in loving my neighbor. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In those things, all the other commandments are wrapped up. By his grace, 
and his invitation to me, by me accepting his invitation as the message of God. It empowers me to live differently. I can work and I can strive and I can try. I can do all these things to try and fix my life up and try and live right before God. But there's a difference between the people who are standing here trying to get there and the people who are standing at the back because of the chair, right? Because of the grace that carried them there. See, I can stand here and I can work and work and work to try and get there. But when I'm back here, when I'm over here, guess what I get to do? I get to rest in what Jesus has done. I get to rest in in what he has done for me. I get to actually stand as that, my foundation, that's my starting point past the line. That's my starting point. Yeah. That's, that's now my starting point because that's where Jesus has brought me. He has brought me into that fullness. That's where I start because of grace. See, grace empowers me to be in his presence not because of something I've done. But it says in in verse 14, it says this, it says, Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. I can be in his presence not because of something I've done, but because he put on flesh. Because he came as a man, fully man and fully God. We often try and, and to understand this, we're like, well, he was half God and half man. No. Or he was God, so that excuses me from having to use him as my example. If everything Jesus did, he did as God, then it's impressive but it doesn't motivate me to action. But if what he did, he did as man, it inspires me to say, that's my example. Not as fully man. See, that's the other thing. Is then we go to the other extreme. We're like, okay, so Jesus was man who became divine. No, he wasn't. He was God become man. Not man become God. He set the example as a man so that we would have a hope to hold on to. Verse 9 said, we see Jesus. When we look around and we see that things maybe aren't going the way we expected them to go or the way we imagined they would go with Jesus in charge, with God giving authority back to man. And it says, but we see Jesus as the example the one who came in flesh to manifest grace. 
It's not that we blindly follow him. It's that in him we see grace and truth. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we can do this thing where we try and get into his presence. We try and love people. We try and do all this work because we think that's what gets us to God. We read the teachings of Jesus and we're like, all right, he said love, so I'm going to go and I'm going to work really hard to love people. Instead of recognizing that all of the things that he taught are part of his kingdom come out of a foundation of grace. I love people because I'm invited by his grace. Do we get this? That the actions, the commands of Jesus, the fulfillment of those have a foundation in understanding that there's grace, that Jesus came to bring a message of grace, not works. Our last series, we talked about being in the presence of Jesus, about what it looks like to dwell in his presence. Guess what? We can make his presence about works. We can make about being in his presence, getting into his presence about what I do and how I work to get there. Instead of recognizing that we have authorization into his presence because of his grace. Because he's already done the work. And what's funny is we look at that, we're like, well, that's not fair. Right? Using the, the three people who were here when I took one person to the back. They're like, well, that's not fair. Or we look at that and we're like, well, that's too good to be true. There's no way that it's that easy. It's too good to be true. But guess what? It's true. This news is so valuable and so precious to the Father that he didn't just choose any messenger to bring it. He sent his son. That's how valuable grace is. Grace is not just an add-on to your works. It's not like I do all the work and then Jesus just tops me up with his grace. It's not the thing that we add on when we recognize we can't get there on our own. It's the foundation, it's the building block, it's the very core root of us being in his presence, of us walking with Jesus. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh. I read that already. It says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus endured every test and every temptation. If you're going through it, he's been through it. So that he could stand with you and say, hey, I'm here. Let me carry you. That he could fully identify with humanity. 
Not just of God swooping in and solving the problem, but as man fully experiencing humanity. To be intimately involved. Why on earth would we hold to something that is just a shadow? When this light of Jesus, this vibrant grace, is so crystal clear. Why would we look at the old covenant and say, well, well, we should do those things? A little bit later in Hebrews, we'll get to this, but the author of Hebrews describes those as just a shadow of what was to come. That Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the real deal. Why would we hold on to a belief system that is rooted in what I can do? What I need to do? What I should do? When grace is so easily available. That's like somebody coming and saying, well, here, let me give you a ride. And we're like, no, thanks, I'm good, I'm going to... I'm going to figure this out. It's like, well, here, let me give you a ride. No, I'm going to figure this out. And we go around and around and around and around and around and around and around, getting nowhere. That's right, we do cling to that. I love this. It says, but by embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. By coming as man, it says that he annihilates, I love that, he annihilates the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds us against us the power of death. He annihilates the work of the enemy. See, we can get so caught up in our need to do this or that. Like a toddler who says, no, me. No, mine. I'll do it myself. So what do we do about it? One, we have to be willing to accept His grace. This idea of grace and truth that John talks about when it comes to Jesus. What we often end up is we end up with a, a grace church and a truth church. Right? All the people who love truth go to one church and all the people who love grace go to one church. And so then... 
the people who love grace, that just everything goes, just come and just do whatever you want because Jesus loves you. And then we have the truth church who are like, no, we're standing on the truth. You can't do whatever you want. There are rules here. But it says Jesus came with grace and truth. A grace that says, I have already pre-approved you if you'll accept my invitation. And a truth that says, let me help you. Where you're going is not working. The place you're in is a mess. But let me work with you. It's not about grace where it's just, do whatever you want. It's about partnering that with truth. Where You know what? As a family, we will call each other on our stuff. We will allow people to speak into our lives. But it, it doesn't come from a place of condemnation. It comes from a place of grace. Of seeing you the way Jesus sees you. Not where I say, well, you need to work harder and fix these areas in your life. But where I say, hey, look, Jesus died for that. Let's invite him in to do the work. And let me walk with you as you walk with him. It's a different motivation, that's right. And then what happens from there? Is we don't just accept Jesus' grace for us and everyone else gets truth. Sometimes we do that, right? We separate it. We're like, all right, well, Jesus... He gives me his grace, but everyone else gets his truth. So you better get ready for the wrath. Right? I am a mouthpiece of God, and you are going to feel the burn. No, we accept his grace, and it positions us to extend his grace. That our message to the world is Jesus loves you so much, that he would come and he would die for you, he would give his life for you so that you could be in his presence, so that you could be transformed by his presence. He's already done the work. He's already come in the flesh and paid the price. Where you fell short, guess what? He brought you past that. He's willing to forgive you. He has forgiven you. So often we look at repentance as working our way back to God when repentance is really just turning from trying to walk on our own to sitting in the chair. You can say that you are speaking on behalf of God to the world. But the reality is if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the language of God. It's not the voice of God. That's what we talked about last week. So if your message isn't wrapped, isn't truth wrapped in grace, it's not the message of Jesus. And I believe as a church we need to become a place that is so saturated with grace that we can say, you know what? It doesn't matter what your mess is. We want you here because Jesus wants you here. It doesn't mean that, that we don't deal with things. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't challenge each other when we see that there's problems. 
But it means that it's all rooted in the grace that is extended from Jesus. It's rooted in the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he would give up heaven for humanity. That he would become fully man. That he would suffer and endure that pain so that he could fully understand what you're walking through. And then not just leave you where you are, but bring you to the finish line. We want to be a safe place where people can come with questions. You don't have to look like you have it all together for Jesus to move in your life, to transform you. Isn't that good news? It's good news for me. I don't have it all together. Anybody else in here who doesn't have it all together? Grace is foundational if we're going to conquer doubt. If we're going to walk in faith, It's not by our working to try and build faith. It's about resting in the gift of grace that he's extended to us. Resting in who he is. It it completely changes the perspective. My obedience then comes out of his gift. It doesn't come out of my works. It comes out because I am so in love with him. See, there's, there's a difference between, I'm going to end here shortly, but there's a difference between, I'm going to take my kids as an example. If I look at them and it's, you're not doing this right, that right, or that right. Can't believe that you're so selfish about this and selfish about that and blah, 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 blah. Are they going to be more generous? But if I sit down with him and I say, hey, look, buddy, I know that you're generous. I've seen it in you here and here and there. When you did this, it wasn't really generous, but that's not who you are. When we understand that God comes to us as a father, not with a voice of condemnation, but of one that says, that's not who I made you to be. That says, let me make you into a new creation. Let me transform you. Let me do the work. Now all of a sudden I'm not living out of my failure, but I'm living out of who he says I am. Grace is foundational if we're going to know God. And grace is foundational if we're going to be victorious over sin. And if we're going to be transformed. Without grace, we're just trying to live up to a standard that we can never reach. We're trying to earn favor. We're trying to earn acceptance. But with grace, Jesus is standing there saying, I know, I've been there, I've experienced it, let's walk through it together. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. This is why 
He had to be made man and take hold of our humanity in every way. Actually, sorry, I'm going to go verse earlier. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God. As the one who removed our sins to make us one with him, he suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Why would we take hold of any belief system that doesn't include the most essential piece, grace? Why would we try and live holding on to a shadow when the light is so clearly displayed before us? Why would I pursue a religion or belief system based on works when the beauty of grace shines so bright? So back to the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2. Let's not drift off course, but instead be more engaged and attentive. Because God spared no expense in delivering grace to us. Let's pray together. with every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the grace of Jesus, maybe you've prayed a prayer, you've been trying to live as a good Christian, but it's all been about what you can do. It hasn't been about the incredible gift of grace that Jesus came to bring where he calls you a son and a daughter. Or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus. Maybe this is the fifth time. Maybe this is the hundredth time. But you've never actually accepted his invitation. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's just feeling like, you know what, I got this. I can figure this out. I'm smart. but we can't get there without grace. God has already done the work by coming as man to extend to you his hand and say, let's do this. Let's go. I got you. Let me take you. If you've never accepted the grace of Jesus over your life. That he would call you a son and a daughter. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus did for you. I want to invite you to put your hand up this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to 
we're going to accept that invitation of grace. If for you, following God, following Jesus has been an act of working harder, trying more, I want to invite you to put, to, to put your hand up. It's an act of saying, Jesus, I accept your gift. I accept that there's nothing I can do to earn it, but that you gave it freely. Don't be afraid right now. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. Just in your heart or out loud, we're just going to pray this together for those of you whose hands are up. Jesus, I turn to you and I accept your invitation of grace. I accept your invitation to be a son or a daughter. Not by my work, but by your work. And I recognize there's nothing I can do except just receive it and accept it. Amen. Church, I want to pray for us as a church that we would be a place that extends grace. And so I want to invite you, if you want to be a part of that, to stand with me. And we're just going to invite God's grace to flow through us. And then we'll be done. Jesus, I thank you for your church here on Salt Spring. I thank you that it's much bigger than just those who are gathered in this building, but that there are others who are gathered this morning who love you. And I pray that you would mark us with your grace so that we could extend your grace to those around us, to our community to those who feel lost and ostracized, who feel unwelcome, who've been hurt by the church. May our message be, you're welcome here. Just as you are, Jesus loves you. So I pray for each person standing this morning, 
for such an encounter with your grace, that we would understand it to such a depth that it would just naturally flow out of us because you live inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. If we can keep this.